podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements, endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show presents Cage is the Rage, which is a Patreon exclusive. Though I say that knowing that I gave the first episode away for free, and I might even do that with this one. I, ha- I haven't decided because this one might be a little short one. But uh, joining me, as she did in the first episode of Cage is the Rage, is my beautiful and talented wife, Amanda. Hello. Uh, so as you as you uh, avid Patreon listeners might have realized, there has been a little bit of a gap between episode one of Cage of the Rage, which is where we talked about Fast Times, Ridgemont High, and Valley Girl, and then to this episode. Uh, a lot of stuff has, I feel like, it's been going on. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when we made the last one, but you made a movie in October. Yep. Um, our anniversary is October. Plus, just general Halloween shenanigans also yeah. kind of got in the I'm way. I'm finishing well. up my last semester of school, mm-hmm. working. Yeah, we're both working full time, uh, trying to keep the podcast going full time. As you said, made a movie, finished up a music video. Yeah, just a lot too. has gotten, uh, I don't want to say gotten in the way, but it gotten in the way. Um, so I'm just going to warn you guys now this episode might be, so these, these episodes were conceived to be short little bonus you know stuff it's not supposed to be like me and nick's hour 45 minute tangents and shit these were built to be short episodes but this one might be even shorter especially early on because he's not really starring in these yet yes uh so it's because like um so the two we are talking about two movies today we are talking about Rumblefish, and we are also talking about uh i should have had this prepared Racing uh, with the Moon. Racing with the Moon. So Rumblefish and Racing with the Moon. And uh, Rumblefish, we have watched. We are recording this episode just for posterity's sake. On Saturday, November 26th, we watched Rumblefish, which originally was going to be his own episode. Yeah. And it was going to be like a month ago. We watched that movie on September 8th. I don't think that could have been its own episode, to be honest. Probably not. Um, but the, the goal always was... Um, it wasn't always we weren't always going to put the pressure on ourselves to do two episodes. Yeah. It's like okay, if we get one movie and we could talk about it for five ten minutes, that's cool. Um, and then Racing with the Moon we watched in November, so there's a month span between the two, and we're almost a month removed from that last one. Yeah, you know, twenty one days. Two months between the two. Well, two months between the two. Yeah, almost twenty one days from the last one. Yeah, so. You know, this might not be our our most eloquent episode, but, you know, such is life. But we will continue on with this series. Cage of the Rays will continue on. Um, And uh, especially because I like like doing this. So, uh, do you want to talk about the two movies, like, in general sense? Do you want to talk about Nicolas Cage in a general sense? Or do you want to go movie by movie? Um, Because it will determine how I introduce them. I have notes based on them in a general sense. Like, a little bit of Nick's specific performance but okay also just general comments okay well then what i'll do is i'll introduce both films um and then we can talk about them in a general sense and then you just talk about even you know we because with this show we want to talk about the movie itself mm-hmm. but we want to then also just focus on nicholas cage and general caginess um so 
as I said, the two movies we watched for this Patreon episode was Rumblefish from 1983, directed by Nicolas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, and on top of that, we also watched from 1984, a year, a year removed. If you hear whining, it is our little gray pit bull who's currently wearing uh, Christmas pajamas. Red Christmas pajamas, who's laying on a pillow, staring at us, crying that we're not paying enough attention to him. So if you hear. The docile tones of whining. It is our dog, Vincent Price. And he's staring daggers through us right now. But anyways, from 1984, we also watched Richard Benjamin's Racing with the Moon. So, do you want to talk about what you thought about the movies first or talk about Nicolas Cage? Um, my notes are kind of like intertwined. So okay. So, whatever. what did you think of Rumblefish? Um... The way that they talked and, like, the way the percussion was in the background reminded me of, like, slam poetry mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie, but especially um, in the fight scene in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and it kind of felt like a fever dream at times because of it. Mm-hmm. Like, everything just seemed kind of chaotic. Like, I enjoyed it, but it was also just weird. It's, it's, it's interesting. So, Coppola made this movie after the success of The Outsiders. The Outsiders, also made written by the book, was written by Essie Hinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rumblefish is kind of her follow up right. book. Um, and the story goes that the whole reason he made The Outsiders is that a group, uh, a, a classroom of students, wrote him a letter saying, This is our favorite book. We'd love for you to make it. <laughs> so he decided to read it and and like and loved the book and made it made the outsiders. This was a big fucking hit in the eighties. Yeah. And w- off of the goodwill of the outsiders, made Rumblefish, which I love that Coppola has this weird fucking trend of making relatively good sized budget art films. Yeah. You know, because he had a lot of good faith going into Apocalypse Now, and you saw Apocalypse Now. It is a two hour big budget art film. Yes, not what I expected. And, and and exactly, and that's the reason I put it off for so long. Um, and then Rumblefish is very much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I and I love what you mentioned too about how like the way that the percussion in the soundtrack, which um, I believe the guy who did the score for this movie was actually the drummer for the Police. Huh. That's um, funny. He uh, it, it reminded me very much of a, a term. Vincent Price. Bobby. I'm going to keep all of this in because my whole philosophy <laughs> with the Patreon episodes is no editing. Uh, he's probably crying because he's cold. So my wife just threw a big blanket on top of him and he looks missed. very alarmed. <laughs> um, I missed him. But you, you sometimes hear an old, a term uh, called Mickey Mousing. Uh, and what Mickey Mousing is, is when you have an action or uh, a movement in a film, and the musical score accompanies it. Okay. You know, so say if, like, someone get, you gets poked in the eye, and then you hear, like, a cello string, or yeah. someone walks up the stairs, and the music kind of moves with them. That's called Mickey Mouse. Okay. Because back in the old Mickey Mouse cartoons, uh, Walt Disney and his animators, they would punctuate a lot of Mickey Mouse's performance with music. And that's kind of what it felt this movie was doing. Yeah. But as you said, I felt, I agree. I felt like it had kind of like a slam poetry. That wasn't in my notes, it. but when I was reading my notes, I was like, this just my, in my memory reminds me of slam poetry. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and it's like, it's kind of like weird and jazzy. And like you said, very dreamlike. And yeah. 
uh, I remember Tom Waits has nothing. This has nothing to do with um, uh, Nicholas Cage's performance, but Tom Waits has this very, really sobering speech about where he's like, "You know, this is a hot summer. I've maybe got thirty summers left in me." I'm like, "Well, fuck when you when you put a number like that, yeah, or like you only have so many Christmases in your life, yeah." And it's just like, "God damn, Tom Waits." <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to think like that. No, exactly. So, so Nicholas Cage is in this movie. Uh, he is not. He's not the main character. Hell, I wouldn't even say he's a a supporting character. No, he's really not in it almost like at all. His character is weirdly important to the plot, but he's not a big character. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays a character by the name of Smokey. J- uh, about by not Smokey James. I'm getting confused with the lead character. His name is Smokey, but he's good friends with. Uh, Matt Dillon's character named Rusty James um, and they kind of have like this I guess like a, like a gang I guess like a yeah a greaser gang yeah um, and it's it's interesting and we'll talk about this a little bit too when we talk about Racing with the Moon it's this version of Nicolas Cage is very interesting yeah um, his performance in the beginning was really kind of stiff mm-hmm. and in some ways I guess it might have been intentional because I don't know it almost felt fitting with the weird um you know slam poetry like feeling almost like stunted like yeah mm-hmm. um so like i think it might have been intentional but it just was like not what i'm used to out of nick cage it, it almost feels like like he's still trying to get comfortable like it, yeah. it seems like he's comfortable in front of the camera yeah but in a you know not like i just Granted, you watch him acting now versus acting then. He's had like 30 or 40 years worth of experience and time to get really used to it. Right. And I feel like he's still figuring out his own acting style because it's, you know, because when people think of Nicolas Cage, they think of like heightened performances. Yeah. And while that is 100% an accurate depiction of how he acts, I also, I, I, I sometimes forget people... I sorry. I sometimes think people forget how subtle he can be, and he is still has these subtleties to his performance in these early films. And some of that could just be confidence. I don't know, but yeah, um, yeah. So his performance in Rumblefish, like I, I said earlier, he's he's not in he's not an important he's not a main character, but he's a weirdly important character because like his character of Smokey ends up like taking Matt Dillon's like girlfriend if you remember correctly. Yeah, and doesn't he, like, end up being, like, the gang leader or, like, people want yeah. him to be the gang leader? Like, he's kind of overthrowing Rusty James. Yeah. but And, we- like, it's all, like, without seeing much on screen. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like another movie would have made that the central conflict of this movie. Yeah. You know, Nicolas Cage, you know, Smokey and Rusty James feuding with each other to who gets control of the gang. But it was super strange because it was like you know, Rusty James walks into like their hangout spot, their like burger joint, sees yeah. that him and Rusty James is like, I don't know if they're actually together, if they're just kind of seeing each other, but his girlfriend, yeah, or former girlfriend, he she was hanging out with Nick, Nick Cage's character, and they had like a small little blow up and they yelled at each other, and then he went outside and it was very much just like. Nicholas Cage's character is like Rusty James, man. You're never around anymore. They need someone for leadership, and Rusty James is all like, you know, if anyone was gonna take over, I think you'd be the best choice. Best choice. I was like, oh man, this all resolved in one scene. Yeah. But I also think like the reason I think the character is important because I feel like this gave Rusty James an out. 
and um, kind of gave him a chance to to see that maybe he wants more out of, out of his life. For those of you who haven't seen Rumblefish, I feel like I, I guess I didn't really describe the film. I'll, I'll read the little description that's on a letterbox. Uh, Rusty James, an absent-minded street thug, struggles to live up to his legendary older brother's reputation and longs for, sorry, longs for the days when gang warfare was going on, <laughs> which is true. You know, um, so in this movie, Matt Dillon's character, Rusty James, his brother, played by Mickey Rourke, plays a mysterious guy just known as the Motorcycle Boy, which <laughs> is such a dumb name. But they make it kind of cool in this movie. Like, I think because they all believe that it's cool, yeah. near the end, I'm like, okay, Motorcycle Boy, that's not <laughs> that's not nearly as dumb as it sounds. Right. Um, you know, uh, Rusty James, his older brother, the Motorcycle Boy, just hightailed it for California. And you kind of get through context clues that he used to run this gang. And Rusty James is always talking about, like, man, back when my brother was around, this type of stuff wouldn't be happening. There'd be rumbles every day. And it was very much just like a starry-eyed kid looking up to his older brother. Yeah. And then, like, the big moment when Motorcycle Boy comes back and he's just, like, flighty and just being poetic for no reason and yeah. just, like... Not at all the character he built him up to be. Yeah. Do you remember when they broke into the, or when he, Rusty James, broke into the uh, fish store to get the fish? Yes. The beta fish, like the one thing in color? Yep. I don't know. Just the, <laughs> I forgot about that until right now. Yeah, I remember they're like tra- drawing these parallels with like how the beta fish, they're, they're fighting fish, but they're solitary creatures because of that. And yeah. And I'm thinking, sitting there thinking, it's like, I can see how, like, a teenage boy would think that's super fucking poetic. Yeah. Didn't the fish die? Or no, he put it, he put it in the river. Yes, he put the fish. Which is not what you do with a betta fish. You don't just put it in a river. A fish is going to go fight so many other fish. The fish is going to get eaten. Yeah, pretty much. And if it doesn't get eaten, no, it's just going to get eaten. So, yeah, like, Rumblefish is a movie that, like, it's almost a kind of a haunting movie because it's a movie that's really stuck with me. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I know when I met with my composer for my next film, for, for my film that's coming up, I was using uh, the score in that film and the sound design as kind of inspiration. Okay. Um, and you got to hear little little tidbits of the score. Yeah. It's, it's definitely weird like the score was in, in that. Yeah. No, I, I found myself really liking it. And it's, it's, it's kind of a treat to see these baby Nick Cage performances, especially back before he got his teeth fixed and he was still kind of a, a, a gangly, dorky-looking guy. Yeah. All right, did you, did you have anything else in your notes about uh, Rumblefish? Um, the only other thing I had was uh, how it irritated me that Nick Cage lit a cigarette at the end and then threw it on the ground immediately after lighting it. <laughs> Pretty much. He's, I, I don't think this was the plan, but I, I, I like to imagine now that he's the leader of this gang, he's got exposable income so much <laughs> so that he can just waste cigarettes. <laughs> I like to imagine that's what it was intended for, but I think it was just an editing mistake. Probably. It was like, um, you ever seen that movie Kick-Ass? I don't think so. There's a, a scene in there where, like, this big fucking uh, shootout scene, and there's a character where, uh, a scene where a character uh, uh, reloads her guns, and they specifically show that happening. Yeah. And I think, like, she shoots, like, two or three shots, and then, like, it gets to the point where, like, 
she's supposed to like shoot like the lead bad guy and she goes shooting she's out of ammunition and in the director's commentary the director even said it's like yeah we cut a whole sequence out of this film which makes this sequence not cut together at all but <laughs> no one's ever mentioned it <laughs> and i would have never noticed it had he not mentioned it but yeah still. yeah all right so then after that we like I said we also talked about uh racing with the moon as i said was directed by richard benjamin who some of you might know as being the director for such movies such as Mermaids, The Money Pit. Uh, My Stepmother is an Alien. Didn't we watch oh, that yeah. one together? Yeah. Uh, Milk Money, which is a movie that I remember seeing as a kid. And, you know, a couple others. Um, so this one is definitely a lot more Nick Cage-centric. I'll read the description for you. Um, in a small coastal California town, Henry and Nikki are pals from blue-collar families with only a short time before they ship off to World War II. Henry begins, Henry begins romancing new-to-town Caddy Winger, believing her to be wealthy. Mischievous and irresponsible, Nikki gets into trouble, with, which forces the other two to become involved, testing their relationship as well as the friendship between the boys. So what did you think of Racing with the Moon? Um, I liked Racing with the Moon more than Rumblefish, I think. Okay. Um, I liked that it was like an alternate universe from uh, um, Back to the Future where George McFly is Biff. <laughs> yes. So Crispin Glover has a small little part in here. He plays a rich, douchey kid, and he's just... hes he, I don't think he's quite at like date Not, rape Biff, no, but he is, no. he's a bully, and yeah. it's really funny he's to the, see. He's the rich kid yeah the rich douchey kid and, and yeah uh the lead character in this movie is played by uh sean penn he plays uh henry hopper nash and then his uh his good buddy nicky is played by nicholas cage so it's also been fun to watch how nicholas cage went from having no lines mm-hmm. to being the starring valley girl and then i felt like he kind of had to work his way back yeah. up again which even in this one it wasn't a huge part no but he is definitely i would say he's, he's the second more. lead yeah He's if they if they with a poster of this movie, his name would probably be on the poster. The second lead mean like, because the main guy and the girl were both leads, right? So second lead is like after them. Yeah, I would say a supporting. Uh, though I would say Nicolas Cage probably might be more of a lead character than Caddy, but really, that's semantics. Yeah, because I I feel like a lot more of and this is just this is my rationale behind it. I don't know. I'm sure there is an official way to figure this out. Um, I feel like a lot more of the plot revolves around Nicolas Cage and his antics than her. Hmm. I guess I don't necessarily agree. How so? I don't know. I'm I, not disagreeing with you. I, just... I don't know. I just feel like she, she was in... Like, she was the center point of the decisions that the main guy made. True, but the, but a lot of those decisions had to be made because of things that Nicolas Cage did. Fair. That's fair. So that's my rationale. That's fair. She's involved in a lot of these things, but the only reason Sean Penn and Caddy are involved in these things is because of Nicolas Cage being a dumbass. That's fair. That's fair. But I feel like an argument could be made for either one. I feel like a perfect poster would have all three of them on there. Yeah. And I think some versions of the poster did have all three of them on there. Okay. Um, So we're talking about Nicolas Cage's character in this. He plays like a... He's like the stereotypical, like... I'm an asshole, but I don't care, like, best friend type of guy who doesn't think about his actions. Uh, a big plot point of this film is involved with him getting a girl pregnant and yeah. not wanting to necessarily own up to it. Um, or 
I don't think it was that he wasn't owning up to it. Um, he didn't have the money for her to get an abortion. That's true. I guess the reason, only reason I thought not want to own up to it, because like there's that time when she came to his job at the bowling alley, which I loved all of those fucking scenes in that fucking old school bowling alley where yeah. they set them up themselves. Yeah. Which has a great scene of Crispin Glover trying to throw bowling balls at people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's Biff. Yeah. Um, she comes to his work and he's just like fucking just being a complete asshole to her. Yeah, I guess I didn't take it as like he's not owning up to what he did because I think he perfectly is aware of his involvement Mm -hmm. in getting her pregnant and knows that she was asking for money to help pay for it. Mm -hmm. And I think, obviously doesn't excuse it, but I think part of it was he was panicking because he didn't know what to do because he didn't have the money. Yeah. He didn't know how to get the money. And then also we see after the abortion that he clearly doesn't know how he should act. Yeah, he doesn't... Uh, he, he's very much still a child. Yeah, like, I, I don't think it's he's denying or running away from the fact that he got her pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he was perfectly involved in that so much. as I think he just doesn't... He doesn't know how to get the money, and he also doesn't know, like, what the fuck to do. Yeah. So, we, we, we talked about it a little bit, but, like, the, a big part of this film is the fact that Nicholas, Nicholas Cage and Sean Penn's character... They are going off to World War II, right? I think yeah. it's two. They're going off to World War II, and they had signed up, but it's kind of like they're in this waiting game to, like, when their ship, ship I think off they dates. both dropped out of high school because I think they're yep. 17. Yep. And they're waiting for this time to come. Um, and so they're kind of, like, in that, in, um, I believe it goes from, like, summer to about February of the next year. But Does it really go through Christmas and stuff? I, could, I believe there was Christmas trees. Because hmm. there was a whole scene of like, um, like I think Nicolas Cage and Sean Penn having a blow up on his porch. And his dad was like, your mom's in there getting Christmas dinner ready or something like that. Oh. I mean, it takes place in California. So my idea it's, of it's hard to I can't see, yeah. really like, um, I don't really know. But in that amount of time, they are like getting into mischief. Sean Penn's slowly falling in love with this with this one girl named Caddy, who um, he mistakes as being a rich girl, which plays into. I later feel like on. it's not even a mistake. He's just convinced because he saw her walk in that house. Yeah, yeah. Which is a pretty low bar to assume that someone is a rich person. Sean Penn sees the character of Caddy walk into this big fucking mansion. And I think Nikki might have even been one of the thing one of the people that'd be like, "Well, she's clearly a rich kid." No, man. he was. He 100% was. He was like um, teasing him for falling for one of the I forget what they call them. Yeah, I don't remember. But I, I can I remember what they're called in The Outsiders. What is it? Socias. That's definitely not it. No, it wasn't that. Yeah. Uh but you know, making fun of him, you know, dating a rich girl. And what we find out is she lives in that house because her mom is the housekeeper. Yeah. Um, so. And she's close to the daughter of the guy who owns it, the mm-hmm. guy who is rich. Like, yep. she's kind of friends with that girl. Yep. But so, she's not. No, exactly. The so, rich like, person. when Nick C- Nicholas Cage knocks up this, this girl and he's trying to get the money, he goes to Sean Penn to ask for him, you know, and Sean Penn doesn't have the money. And he's like, well, you should ask Caddy. And Sean Penn. Is, his performance is interesting in this film because he's very much like you can tell him and him and Nikki are, are best friends, but he doesn't always, if ever, really agree with Nikki's choices, yeah. and he really struggles with asking Caddy for this. I think because he obviously doesn't want her to think that he's using her for the money. Mm-hmm. And 
Caddy does not tell them right away that she's not rich. Instead, she finds we're not going to we're not going to spoil exactly how it all happens. But she finds a way to get the money, and instead of just saying, "Hey, I'm not this rich girl," she wants to help him so much because that she she's gets afraid this money. that he's going to dump her. Exactly, which is um, so heartbreaking. Exactly, because she's young and naive. And like I, I found myself really lucky liking this movie. Like there's, yeah. there's any. It's I always struggle a little bit with any movie that's about two young kids about to go off to war because there's always a little bit of like military propaganda. But it wasn't too heavy handed in this film. If anything, it just feels like two kids who were looking for an excuse to leave their town and just felt this was it. They it really didn't drive the military thing home like at all. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it was just we knew that they were leaving soon and that there was like a risk with dating someone long-term or the girlfriend having, you know, Nick Cage's girlfriend having the baby because he wasn't going to be around. Like, we knew that they were leaving, so there was, like, a kind of a time bomb in that way. Um, but other than that, it was kind of just mentioned that they were going to be shipping off eventually. Um, one of the things that was really messed up in relation to the military thing, though, was when they went back to the high school... And they were, like, messing around and participating in the military nurse drills. Oh, my God. I forgot about that Where the guys would, like, lay bandaged with, like, note cards, like, dead or uh, legs fucked up. And the nurses would have to practice going around and dealing Mm -hmm. with that. Like, that was, like, this is horrifying. And then Sean Penn's character went to Cat Because Caddy works at the library and at the movie theater. Um and goes to the library still like dressed up because like they had fake blood on them and bandages and everything to fuck with her and she fucks with him back by taking him to a uh, 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 a veteran hospital ward of people that came back from World War II missing limbs or what have you and he has yeah. this really um uh interesting scene of Michael Madsen a, a really young Michael Madsen too yeah and I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but he was just talking to him about the war. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind and, of like a sobering moment for Yeah, he was Sean very Penn. uncomfortable with the conversation. Mm-hmm. There was also, I don't know if this was in your notes, but there was also that like pool hustling scene in the middle of yes. the film. Yeah, that was, that was great. I don't remember when Nick Cage was drunk, but I have a note that his drunk performance was hilarious. Oh, yeah, his drunk performance was great. I don't remember when he was drunk or what <laughs> exactly happened. So that's one of my notes. I don't remember exactly where that t- turns up either. Uh, also, it was, it was fun to see, like, with this movie. Granted, like I said, he has more to do in this movie than the yeah. other ones. Um, but you sh- I'm starting to see shades of, like, Nicolas Cage performances that would come later on. Yeah. Where, especially, like, those 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 type of, those not necessarily over-the-top Nicolas Cage performances where he's just, he's heightened, but not, like mandy where he screams through the entire movie yeah <laughs> like it's like he, he's starting to show those sides of himself mm-hmm. um you have any other notes for racing with the, racing with the moon um mostly uh so there's one where the i commented on the weird way that he was wiping blood off of the girl's shirt because he like squeezed her boob afterwards, which I was remember. very yeah. Because he's like wiping it off of her. I don't know people. This podcast you can't see me doing, but he's wiping it off of her, and then he just kind of cops a feel. Yeah, it was like so weird. Um, and then I also had two notes on how the train sequence sequences were really stressing me out because I kept thinking they were gonna get fucking hit by the goddamn train. Fried green tomatoes has made me very afraid of people getting hit with trains. 
Uh, I guess maybe that is my source because I watched that movie pretty young, but I've always been afraid of being hit by trains. Um, and then the second note is these kids are too risky. First fucking around on the train, uh, then her and Henry lay down in the road. Remember that? Oh my god, I forgot yeah. about that. And then he also like takes her up to like this bar that was on like yeah, that, that was like crumbling, crumbling on a fucking bluff or something. Yeah, that just like it very clearly could like see the water below you. And yeah, it's like this is where we hang out. Yeah. Just like, you guys are stressing me out, but yeah. especially the train. This like, train. I just, I was convinced that Nick Cage was going to die, and part of the movie was going to be Sean Penn dealing with the death of his best friend. Kind of like the, the My Girl scene. Like yeah, the- I was convinced. That movie also traumatized me. So <laughs> made, me, made me very afraid of bee attacks. Yeah. Um, so, one thing I wanted to start doing on this show, especially now that Nicolas Cage is starting to get... Um, bigger parts in these movies i i wanted to start talking about like on a scale of one to ten and this this scale can mean however we want it to be yeah so let's let's for uh, and figure out like where on the nicholas cage scale these movies fit so first i think we need to establish the scale okay so what is the craziest out of what we've seen the craziest most over-the-top performance of nicholas cage you can think of that would be number 10 um that's tough I almost want to say, God, I haven't seen Mandy in so long. I almost want to say Colorado Space, but I don't know if that Colorado Space would be a good one where he's it's you know it's got a lot of those the signature cage rage moments, but then it's just like almost like a bipolar performance in ways. Yeah, or if I remember, he just seems unhinged. Yeah, completely unhinged. Yeah, and then like I would say like a one would be. Maybe even something like Rumblefish, where he's very not subdued. Uh, not um, what was the other one? Fast Times. Yeah, where he doesn't even speak. I don't count that <laughs> just because that he doesn't even have a line. Um, I mean, that would be a one. Yeah, and then like maybe something like Pig being a five. Not necessarily that it's a it's a middle of the road performance, but he doesn't necessarily get as big he's, as he yeah, does. Yeah, he's not but as crazy. Yeah, so I would say like in our Nicolas Cage scale that we've just established of Color Out of Space being a ten. And uh, I guess I kind of made Rumblefish a one. Yeah, that's fine. Um, where would you put Racing with the Moon? I feel like Racing with the Moon almost could be like a three. Okay. Like, I think it has some of the moments, but it's definitely not too much. You know, it doesn't get that three. crazy. Yeah, I'd say a three or a four is is fair yeah um and then since we didn't do this and like um fast times is not even on the scale yeah um it is a point it is a point one yeah <laughs> um where would uh, valley girl for me i'm almost like that's a six maybe a seven because he gets really? a little bit bigger in that movie his goofy laugh that he has constantly he has a lot of weird choices in terms of the way he acts the way he moves the way he dresses I guess. I guess I that would seems like kind of high for me. I would put it as a six. Because I almost feel like Racing with the Moon, he was more Nick Cage. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So we have we have battling opinions about where uh, Valley Girl belongs on the list. I think it's a six. Amanda will probably be like, what, four or five? Yeah. On there. Okay. All right. And then finally, the last thing I want to do on this is um, we're going to keep a running tally going on Letterboxd of i have a cage is the rage ranking and once again i should specify this ranking is not saying this is where we're not ranking in terms of 
what's the best movie? Mm-hmm. You know, because like out of the four movies that we have on here, one could ar- I would argue that Fast Times at Ridgemont High is one of the best of these movies, in my opinion. But it's really well on the list in terms of Nicolas Cage performance. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we are ranking his performance okay. in these movies. Okay. So I could argue that I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High is when I say one, I mean lowest on the list. Yeah. Um, is the lowest. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. All right. So Fast Times at Ridgemont High because the man does he has he's in this movie for three seconds and doesn't say a word, gets in the lowest on the list. Yeah. Up from there, the we're, since we're ranking his performance, like I said, this is this this is gonna get tough as these movies go on. Yeah, we have left Valley Girl, Rumblefish, and Racing with the Moon. What should be a notch above Valley Rumblefish. Girl? Rumblefish. Rumblefish. Okay. And then we got Valley Girl and Racing with the Moon. I think because he's the lead actor, I think Valley Girl should go above Racing with the Moon, but I could be swayed either way. I'm uh, also biased towards Valley Girl. Yeah, I think. It should go Valley Girl, then Racing with the Moon at the top. Okay. Because I guess... I Don't get me wrong, I like Valley Girl's movie, but I think Nick Cage... He does more in Racing with the Moon. He covers more emotions, has a little bit more serious topics, and I feel like he handles it pretty well. Okay. Even with his character not really understanding, you know, grasping the gravity of what happens, I think he's... I don't know, I think there's more range there. Okay, and I'm not going to argue it because I did say I am admittedly biased towards Valley Girl. Yeah. So I'm going to keep your ranking of of in terms of best Nicolas Cage performance to worst Nicolas Cage performance as we have it. The best being Racing with the Moon from yep. 1984. Then below that we have Valley Girl from 1983, Rumblefish from 1983, and then Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982. Out of curiosity, and this is like not in order of what we're doing or anything out of all of the Nick Cage movies that you've seen mm-hmm. just off the top of your head. What do you think would be the top one of my favorite? Yeah. Hmm. Keep in mind. I have to rewatch a lot of. Yeah. These. Yeah. That's why it's um, like, it's not part of the official list or anything. It's am just, I able to give like a couple or do I have to pick like a definitive number one? Pick a definitive number one, but I'm curious what your other ones were going to be definitive number one like fate like or, or, one more question is this is this saying my favorite nicholas cage movie or like cagiest performance your favorite nick cage performance all right not right. necessarily the whole movie but what you what is your favorite nick cage performance i'm gonna pull up a list of some of his performances just so i can remind myself um for nicholas cage performances All right, if I just had to pick, like, the most Nicolas Cage performance. Like, are you saying, like, the cagiest or just the best? The ca- I'm, I'm going to do three picks. I'm going to okay. do my favorite, the cagiest performance, and then what I think is just legitimately his best performance. Okay. In my opinion, from what I've seen. Okay. Cagiest performance. Wild at heart. Okay. Like, I just, I, when I think of, like, just quintessential Nick Cage performances now, even though I've just relatively seen that movie in recent years, yeah, it's really stuck with me. Okay. So cagiest performance, I would put at as Wild at Heart. Um, best performance, I would probably do Bringing Out the Dead from, with that he did of Martin Scorsese. But if anyone's going to get an amazing performance out of Nicolas Cage, it's going to be Martin Scorsese. Yeah. And then my favorite would be a shocker because I feel like I, th- I think I know what you think I might say. Okay. 
but I think my favorite is the one that's just really stuck with me the most is The Rock. Okay. So I haven't seen the last two. Okay. And while that hard, I don't remember. Okay. So, it was our Valentine's Day movie. I don't remember. We saw it right before. It was the last one we saw before COVID. Closed Oof. everything down. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. That was a while ago. David Lynch and Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and we saw it at UWM, right? Yeah. On film? Yeah, I don't remember it. Okay. I'm sure once we watch it, it'll come back to me. But like off the top of my head, I don't really remember it. Oh my god, he's just like he's a he's a. It's Nicolas Cage dressed like a 1950s greaser, but dancing to speed metal. Okay. Um, I think his best performance and my favorite, and I guess this is because I I haven't seen a lot of his like middle stuff. Um, middle dewey yeah like we're watching the early stuff yeah i've seen a lot of like the more recent stuff yeah but a lot of the crap in the middle i don't i haven't really seen <laughs> a lot of the crap in the middle <laughs> and like i'm sure if i go look at his filmography there's a lot of stuff that i have do you want to you want a list sure okay but like he's got a giant filmography to be fair mm-hmm. um like i forgot he was in into the spider-verse Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Um, he has that great moment where he's playing off a Rubik's Cube, and he goes, this is so much easier here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, is he in... I feel like this list is not even all of them, is it? It's not in order. Oh, okay. It's in. It's ranked in terms of of um, most popular. Got it, okay. Um, one second. Dog eat dog. I don't know what that is, but. Um. I forgot he's in The Family Man. It's a fun Christmas movie. I've never seen it. Really? No. Oh, we need to watch that. We're going to watch it this Christmas? Sure. Okay. Prisoners of the Ghostland was fucking weird. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily liked it. I don't. But I appreciated how weird it was. I did not like it, admittedly. Yeah. Um, Mom and Dad was a lot of fun. Oh my god, I, for- I love Mom and Dad. I loved Nick Cage and Ghost Rider. Definitely um, on my I have a crush on this actor list when I was younger. Um, National Treasure is also just a fond memory because I watched that a lot as a kid. But out of curiosity, what was your pick and your for so, favorite and best performance? So my favorite and best performance, I think, is Pig. That's fair. That almost was my pick for best performance. And I, I knew that was I knew that was what it was going to be when I asked you the question, because I think even looking at his list and seeing like the other stuff that I know, like the movies I love from his middle period, aren't necessarily great movies. They're just movies that I grew up with and I liked. Like I don't Ghost Rider is not a great movie. Mm-hmm. from what i remember maybe i'll watch it again and be blown away but like it's not a great movie but i just loved that movie as a kid yeah um I... but yeah i think pig i think about it all the time mm-hmm. um nothing is more impressive than the way he broke that chef <laughs> yes like we talk about that we t- we me and you just I go collectively back to talk about that scene a lot yes i have never seen a man so effectively breaks someone. Werewolf women. Oh, Werewolf Women of the SS. That's a fake trailer that uh, Rob Zombie directed. It I want Nicholas... that to be real. I know. That's bullshit. 
Um, I don't know what I think of the best Nick Cage, like, cagey performances. I guess off the top of my head, I'd probably say Colorado Space. Yeah. Because that's the one I put at the 10. But I think that could be swayed as we watch more of these. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Pig just really stuck with me. I think it's also so different than the other stuff he's made lately. Yeah. And, and I, in a very, like, sombering and serious way. And I, but it, it's still him. And I love... And it kind of goes... Now we're just kind of talking about Nicolas Cage in general, which we'll probably end up doing a lot on this show. Yeah. Um, what I have felt about Nicolas Cage, and I'd be curious to see if there's any weight behind this as this continues on, is I feel like Nicolas Cage... He makes choices. He makes big choices. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. That's not to say all these choices work. But yeah. he makes big choices. I think when he's working with a director, and I'm not saying, this is not saying some of the directors he's working with aren't good or aren't great or what have you. Yeah. But he's working with a director who's not as confident reining him in. I think that's sometimes when it struggles a little bit. Like if you allow Nick Cage just to be pure and unadulterated Nick Cage, it can work. But I feel like you need someone kind of reining it in a little bit. Depends on what kind of story you're telling. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like he was not reined in in Prisoners of the Ghostland. But I feel like that whole movie was not reined in and was just absolutely nuts. Yeah, no, exactly. But then you have something like, like Mandy. Yeah. Where it's absolutely nuts. But in a comprehensible way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or even like Colorado Space. Colorado Space is a fucking wild yeah. trip of a movie. But again, it's like I can follow it. Yeah, and then like I still need to see Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, the movie, like uh, where apparently from what I've heard in the movie, he doesn't have a single line of dialogue. That's wild. Okay. He doesn't have a single line of dialogue, and he's the I think he's the only human actor in that movie. That's goofy. Okay. But it's like oh shit, I'm in like. I'm thinking to myself, if anyone can do an entire movie where you don't speak, but be yeah. compelling, it would be Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but then I'm also excited to, like, revisit his, like, quote-unquote, like, 90s, I'm the biggest actor in Hollywood action movie phase. Yeah. You know, like, something like The Rock, like I was saying, or, like, or not really action movie, but, like, you know, The Weatherman or The Family Man, you know, these movies yeah. within that period. And then, like, I'm Have excited. Have you seen National Treasure? I don't remember. We watched it together, yes, okay. but I've never seen the second one. Okay. Um, Or even something like Adaptation, where he was doing, like, indie films and shit. Like, I'm, and not, like, I'm doing indie films because I need the money, but, like, I believe in this film. <laughs> I want to do this indie film. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, big things like Face Off and... Uh, side thought, you know what movie I think this movie is really good but um i think it was disappointing disappointingly uh cagey hmm. um i'm blanking on the title we we just bought this no we almost bought this movie yesterday oh uh uh, uh the unbearable way to massive yes. talent yes i feel like that one had a lot of potential to have a lot more caginess with nikki but Nikki did not show up as much no. as I hoped. I still love the movie. Yeah. But yes, it was like, and you watch this, it's like, man, this is a more honed in Nicholas Cage. Yeah. This is a good solid eight on the Cage scale. Which. Maybe a seven. Which is crazy because the whole premise of the movie was kind of his alter ego <laughs> being crazy. 
like he was kind of commenting on himself mm-hmm. but i just feel like his alter ego nikki did not show up often enough yeah and i love the movie feel like it kind of dropped the ball on the caginess yeah no i completely agree all right so uh, uh unless you have anything else to add to um uh, Rumblefish or, or Racing with the Moon. I think that's that's it for this for episode two of Cages of the Rage. Uh, coming up on the next episode, should we just continue the trend of doing two movies or maybe we can try. We'll try. I'll tell you what the next two movies are, and what you'll either get one or you'll get two. We'll it also see. depends on how much we have to say about each one. Yes. So ne- coming up next in episode three, maybe episode four of Cages of the Rage is from 1984 the cotton club directed by francis ford coppola i'll read the description just so people can maybe look it out and see if they want to watch it the cotton club harlem's legendary cotton club becomes a hotbed of passion and violence as the lives and loves of entertainers and gangsters collide it's nicholas cage gregory hines uh bob hoskins uh richard Gere, fucking fred gwynn herman munster oh um, and then after that, we have, from 1984, directed by Alan Parker, we have Birdie. Um, two young men are seriously affected by the Vietnam War. One of them has been obsessed with birds, but now believes he really is a bird and has been sent to a mental hospital. Can his friend help him pull through? Uh, Matthew Modine plays Birdie, who he plays, uh, he's a he's Levin's papa in Stranger Things. Oh. So you're going to see him as a very young man. Okay. And Nicolas Cage plays Sergeant Al Columbato. So I wonder if he's the friend. Okay. Um, and then, after, fuck, I'll just talk about the next couple he has coming up. The Boy in the boy in Blue, which I am not looking forward to only because I've tried to look for this movie and I can't fucking find it anywhere. If we can't find it, then we yep. have to skip it. And then you have the three movie run of Peggy Sue Got Married, Raisin Arizona, and Moonstruck. That'll be a good three yeah and i'm like cotton club you can't go wrong with coppola um birdie just sounds like an interesting movie so like i feel like it's 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 coming along yeah so that's what's coming up on future episodes of cage of the rage um if you guys want to give you your opinion about any of these nicholas cage movies or um let us know and one thing one thing we'll probably do as well we might do like little updates here and there if we end up seeing something out of time for Nicholas Cage, like say if we watch The Family Man, yeah, we might talk about it in the next episode. Yeah, it'll still have its own episode whenever the fuck we get down to yeah. it. But I mean, that's gonna be quite a while. Yeah, but uh, yeah, stay tuned for more Cage of the Rage. Anything else you want to say, Amanda? Nope, that's it. All right, thanks for listening, guys. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.